When the leaves turn brown, they come a tumbling down. Remember. Oh, it's autumn. There is a chill in the air and a chill in our podcast coffers. If you like Crisis Twin, consider donating a small monthly surcharge to the podcast that will help support the operating costs and just general good vibes of this enterprise. It's completely optional and you can donate as much or as little as you want, but much like Melissa Leo once said, consider stay warm. Hey girlies, welcome to Crisis Twink, the podcast where we ring the alarm about cultural emergencies. Whether it's a flop album, an insane headline, a problematic fave, or just something that needs to be urgently discussed or you'll die, we're going to revive it and make sure it gets the medical assistance it so desperately needs. My name is Drew Haskins, and I'm the only twink who can save a culture in crisis. Joining me today is a staff writer at The Atlantic, and the author of the new book, Everything I Need, I Get From You, How Fangirls Created the Internet As We Know It. Please welcome Caitlin Tiffany. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I think you are uh, the first published author on the podcast. <laughs> Those are very exciting. What an honor. I know. I like fangirl culture is something we talk about extensively on here too. Like you are talking to, unfortunately, a fangirl slash stand, so to speak, of your fandoms. Many things. Um, <sighs> that's a tough question. You're kind of hitting me on like a weird day for my fandoms have shifted today specifically and this week in total. But I would first and foremost describe myself as a little monster. I think. Okay. Which is not a fun thing to describe yourself as in 2022, but more fun than some of the other like Tumblr era standums, I think. What's our gal up to these days? I don't even, I don't even know. Like makeup lines. (laughs) That's like (laughs) being, being the Joker, like that's kind of anything but music. Okay. You know, I loved House of Gucci. Everyone said it was boring. I was like, I'm loving every second of this. Um, doesn't make sense as a film but I'm having a great time I loved it I thought all her looks are great except for at the end when they had to make her look like a murderer (laughs) (laughs) that is like my white whale in a lot of ways like I support her so implicitly at this point that I don't want to put myself in a situation where I think I won't enjoy her so I haven't watched House of Gucci yet which is Well, okay, I do feel like there was a time and place to see it, and, like, my time and place was I'm home for the week and my family is bored, and we, like, need to leave the house, and it was perfect for that. Um, It might be just Well, I'm about to take two flights in a week, and I'm sure between the two flights, I will watch, like, the first half and then the second half, because it's, like, four hours long, too, which is my other hindrance. I don't think, I mean, and I say this with all the love in the world, like one of my main gripes with A Star Is Born would it, was that it was like 25 minutes too long. And I don't think I can take three hours of Lady Gaga doing like 
a Russian accent. I just, I know myself too well at this point. <laughs> like, I, I just know that's not the kind of thing that I can like do in one sitting. Yeah, no, fair enough. I think it is a good airplane movie too, actually. Um, it's just one of those movies that doesn't like demand a lot of you. Like you sort of already know the general outline of the plot and you're just like, well, let me see if any of these scenes with Adam Driver are like steamy and work for me. Let me see like how the accents are funny and the outfits are good. I'll just let mm-hmm. it walk me. Yeah, I, I feel like I got a lot from the trailer yeah <laughs> in a way, way it weighs both positive and negative and like as someone who really likes fashion like we were talking a little bit about tumblr before um hopping on the recording like i was already really familiar with the gucci story and like the tom mm-hmm. ford of it all and like it's a really fascinating era and i just wasn't sure how they were gonna like bring it to the material i don't know i mean i like don't want there to be more tv right now because i think we have way too much but like the house of gucci stuff could have been a mini series pretty yeah. pretty easily yeah totally um so speaking of tumblr were you on it hardcore back in the day like what kind of got you into fangirl culture and like I mean just building the internet as we kind of know it now in the meme economy (laughs) yeah totally well I when I started college I was like I went to a really small high school where there wasn't really it wasn't hard to be like cool or Mm -hmm. whatever because you basically had to just like not be absolutely weird yeah and invited to stuff so I had a pretty like good high school experience like being on the soccer team and like being in a a, like this main circle of people and then I went to college and I was like oh I have never had a sip of alcohol I do not know how to make friends um like I it was a huge huge um campus with like way too many people and I feel like I just ended up that was really the first time in my life that I was like I have nothing to do except look at the internet like I had the kind of all-American childhood where I was like uh that's a waste of time like my me and my sister share a computer and whatever what am I really going to do on there and then in college I was like oh I'm scrolling like I, I have to be in the feed I have to be like um like reblogging Sylvia Plath quotes (laughs) (laughs) I have to be like looking for tattoo inspo um (laughs) and then yeah like eventually One Direction stuff which is what I ended up writing the book about but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah I mean Tumblr I I started college in 2011 um so it was kind of the golden years of Tumblr when I was in school yeah yeah that we've talked on the pod before about how like the golden years were 2010 to 2013 for just like blogging writ large um tumblr like hipster runoff like i mean like early like golden age pitchfork like all these like communities coalescing around like i don't know the hipster ideal almost was like Mm-hmm. A, fast, a fascinating space to be in especially as people who were like a little too young to fully take advantage of all that because I yeah I was like in late high school in 2011 and kind of living vicariously through like 
people who were like five years older than me. Yeah, no, totally. Same. I was like reading HTML giant and mm-hmm. like that's what's how Lynn before it like occurred to me that it was really problematic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it because it was because they made it look really easy. Like all you have to do is like, um, you know, like find some Adderall and like, um, just come up with one funny thing to say Yeah. This, in this world. Um, so I was really just, yeah, just stalking them all and biding my time and being like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a fantastic blog. <laughs> and it was really easy to find a personality shorthand off of like standing grimes or something. Like you could just find some weird person to glom onto. Like I, um, my ex was like a ginormous Cara Delevingne stan, like early 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 on the bandwagon and I know she was like a main tumblr girly but like I mean you literally could just have a personality from like making weird faces having thick eyebrows and being shot by Terry Richardson like I mean it was (laughs) it was that's like the holy trinity in a lot of ways yeah yeah of course what a what a bizarre time but beautiful in its way I love that like the um Lana Del Rey Lolita aesthetic had to be like renamed because of <laughs> because of SGWs on Tumblr. They were like, we have sinned. We should not have been calling ourselves Lolitas. We will now call ourselves waifs. I was like, yeah, waifs. And that's almost worse. <laughs> like I kind of prefer um the like tw- I'm way bigger these days and like to the extent that I'm in it, but like the Twitter stan community like I am truly surrounded on the internet by like mentally ill gay guys at all times which is what I prefer and what I celebrate but like (laughs) the commonly accepted term for like lolita slash waifs right now is cherry emoji twitter which oh totally yeah I am I love that term it's just like like such an economical phrase like you know exactly what it means and that's all like waifs feels like I mean, Lolita's is really infantilizing, but like Waves feels like not that much better. I don't know. I mean, the Waves aesthetic also just reminds me too much of Dasha, who is just like the Mm -hmm. most upsetting personality that I think I've ever been forced to know anything about due to popular culture. So (laughs) there really is a spectrum from like tumblr lolitas to like the melanie martinez of it all in like the mid 2010s to Mm. dasha and i i i don't know (laughs) we could spend a whole episode talking about just that like spectrum right there because that evolution is so crazy but yeah it is um it's a weird cultural phenomenon right now that like it was the lolita thing was mostly just infantilize it infantilizing back then but now like the baby has a cigarette and that's the new thing yeah yeah that reminds me there's like a podcast that I've only listened to a couple of times because it's like a little bit stressful just to be in the mix of all the Tumblr stuff there's a podcast called Nymphet Alumni which is like hosted by (laughs) like I love that title it's a really good title, but it's hosted by like three women who like used to be part of like the Lana Del Rey, like Lolita subculture on Tumblr. And now they're like reflecting on girl culture. I 
need to listen to that. Like that, I mean, that is literally like a recovery <laughs> meeting right there. <laughs> no, they're actually really smart. It's a good show. No, it's I'm just, sure. Like it's a little overstimulating for me. <laughs> I, I mean this sincerely. I think some of the smartest, funniest people I know were like forged in the fires of Tumblr because like <laughs> not only are you getting exposed to the weirdest culture and like actually being forced to develop like personal taste that's not like the mono culture or whatever but you're also dealing with relentless abuse <laughs> like i mean mm. la- like we the twitter implosion's been on everyone's mind these days but like when i think back to like what was said on tumblr in like 2011 i i just i wouldn't say that's worth my worst enemy <laughs> like it's truly <laughs> wild yeah but okay speaking though of implosions fan communities and the like we have to move on to our first segment so caitlin we are gonna play ring the alarm wait okay i was listening to the episode that you did with julia where you renamed this segment to ring the alarm Uh uh-huh and you expressed that some people were confused by the original name yes okay why why were they confused that's a hilarious name so that's what I thought too. Um, and you know, it is it, most podcasts would not change the name of one of the core segments like seventy five episodes into its run. Um, I'm built Taylor different. Swift. I read that you're like Taylor Swift, new era, <laughs> new era. But also, like <laughs> I, I kind of assumed that "Work Bitch" was a bigger song in the mass culture than it actually is like I guess it really is just like a niche gay guy song but like I don't know Ring the Alarm also fits with like the loose emergency theme of this podcast so like I guess I should be consistent with my aesthetic like if I learned anything from Tumblr like it's that and I just wasn't following the commandments but I just love the idea of like calling the governor being like Governor. I do too. Maybe what oh, we can yeah. bring it for one one night only. We can bring it back. Okay. Because I do. I'm feeling a little nostalgic. Um. Okay. So we are going to play "Go Call the Governor" one night only. I'm going to present you with three cultural scenarios from recent and/or ancient history, and you are going to decide whether or not the governor needs to be called. No wrong answers here. But your choice is binary. Are you calling him or not, or her, or them? Yeah. So, first scenario. The barbs implode as Nicki Minaj is shut out of the Grammys after beefing with every female rapper uh, in existence over the past two weeks. Um, the governor does not need to know about that one. The barbs okay. are always imploding. And this is not even close to the worst implosion we've seen. Remember when we're like thinking they might have to become vaccine hesitant? <laughs> yeah. They... <laughs> <laughs> In order to continue standing, that was worse. That um, was I think definitely it's... worse. Easy. Let him get his get his rest. Is there her rest? Yeah. I I turned in my Barb card a long time ago. Not that I was ever like a hardcore Barb, but she is just so profoundly unlikable these days. Like, I don't I really know totally how anyone's agree. still doing it. I totally agree. And even, I mean, like, 
obviously it's a crucial memory of my high school experience to be like driving around in my grandma's car listening to <laughs> super bass but like I don't I don't think she's delivering anymore she's not delivering anymore and she's mean and also didn't she do a concert for like a dictator or something yeah and she's doing the world cup song for the cutter world cup um and performing there okay. too so like and she's suing someone for accusing her husband of sex crimes yeah that he did come well allegedly commit like i mean he is a convicted sex offender and she goes to bat for him every time yeah i mean i don't think we should go too far because i like my i like my life but yeah (laughs) (laughs) no the only time i have been attacked from this podcast by like a stan community was by courtney kardashian stans which oh my god really who knew she even had those but like I didn't know that I really did not know that I could not tell you one person in my life who like I know a lot of people who are like oh I'm happy for her she seems happy sure but do you know any stands well I didn't but they're legion um and I have been asked to retract my comments saying that I think she is a bad mother many times (gasps) and uh okay maybe maybe that's a little harsh but I also don't think she's a good mother and that's like you know I can't like not say I won't that. ask you to repeat because I don't want to like but I want to hear more later because yeah. I paid that close of attention I just don't really think she enjoys <laughs> her life very much and that's really what it boils down to but um no but I also like I don't know I don't really have the sense of obligation to stand that hard that like some people do like I can separate the art from the artist, so to speak. But like, I don't, especially like with regards to the barbs, like the music's not good anymore. So like, why, like you're mad that she didn't get nominated by A, a meaningless award show for B, super freaky girl or whatever, which is like not that great of a song. So like, I don't, I don't understand what people really want from, from her or anyone these days. Speaking of implosions, next scenario, the Katie Cats rebel after Katy Perry endorses Rick Caruso's now losing <laughs> campaign for mayor of Los Angeles. Are they actually rebelling? They're yeah, mad? they're pissed. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and this is the other thing, like being a stan is sort of, it seems very puritanical in a sense these days, like yeah. expecting yeah. artists to be role models I think is a losing battle all the time. Yeah. I would say again, like no need to call the governor on this one. The only Katie Stan in my life was tweeting like sort of like a joking defense of Katie, but just basically being like, please, like this woman cannot read. Like just like leave her alone. She doesn't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I need to pull up a tweet really quickly from friend of the pod Fleetwood Max who said Katie actually voting for Rick Caruso and posting a picture of it online because she knows that post-PRISM, everything she touches goes to shit. So she actually voted for him to sabotage him and let Karen Bass win. (laughs) Galaxy brain thinking. That is, you know, I've never had any love at all for Katy Perry. Um, I thought she was boring. Um, I thought her music was like, I thought well I guess I'm a I'm a Swifty I gotta yeah. say like, 
just kind of by dint of like growing up in rural America in the aughts. Um, but like when they were having their feud, I was like, this is fucked up because Katy Perry has said way more offensive things than, than Taylor. And like, I just, I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get why people wanted to take her side. It didn't make any sense to me. And I've always harbored a grudge and I, I don't like her. Um, however, I think, yeah, I think if her fans want to turn on her, like we don't need to involve the local government. Um, no. that's community policing right there (laughs) (laughs) you're being held accountable by like the the people in a big way there um yeah I'm also I've never been like a Katie I like a lot of her music I worked for her label for two years so I've heard enough I've heard enough Katy Perry for a Mm -hmm. lifetime and like I I would definitely side with the Swifties over the Katie Cats any day because Taylor actually makes like good albums and yeah I mean she's also a lunatic don't get me wrong yeah but like every pop star is a lunatic that's kind of (laughs) like why we gravitate towards especially like you know not to create equate like female pop stardom with like lunacy or whatever but like that's part of the appeal it's like diva worship is such a big yeah especially like I mean, like, Terrence McNally said more about this than, like, I could. But, like, gay men are just very drawn to, like, outsized women. And, like, who better in our, like, pop culture right now than, like, Gaga or Beyonce or, I mean, well, Rihanna a little less so, but these days. Yeah, I think with Taylor also, like, the appeal to me is, like, that's, like, it's such a fantasy to imagine, like, oh, if somebody hurt my feelings, I can, like, create this piece of art about it that like every single person in the world is going to be exposed to just Mm -hmm. like having that level of control over your own over the narrative of everything that happens to you I think um and you know it is cringe at some level too like obviously she's a 32 year old woman she shouldn't be like necessarily being like I need to get the last word on this breakup that happened um to me 13 years ago but like everyone secretly wants that everyone like has that petty yeah and like you know these things like these feelings don't like come and go like if you're trying to artistically channel it you know a decade down the line I think that's like fine and I think she's doing it in a way that's not necessarily if it were redundant that would be annoying but like she's excavating like new layers to everything that feels like maturity almost like we're not processing the same things at different times I would like to touch on really quickly. You mentioned One Direction earlier. Yeah. That is a group that whose appeal has escaped me completely since <laughs> they started. And I'd like to hear yeah. why you're drawn to them specifically. Because I don't I don't feel like a magnet pull from any of them except Louie, but that's because I think it's the hottest. Okay. So I will say like in my in my like modern in my contemporary state I have kind of like moved completely past my interest in Harry Styles yes and I am only invested anymore in Niall um whom I absolutely love his last album came out like the day that the whole country shut down because of the pandemic like Mm -hmm. March 17th or something 2020 so it got totally overlooked but I thought it was great and he's kind of just like this um he's just like an Irish lad he just like wants to get a pint and then like watch soccer um he's like not 
as traditionally handsome as Harry. So um, he's kind of the underdog mm-hmm. and like, he's the one I'm really rooting for. I just find him so charming and he's like a little bit stupid, but he's also like pro toys. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, like originally, I think, the, I think like a lot of Direction fans will tell you that like they only like them as One Direction. Like they only work as this kind of like, like just like litter of rambunctious puppies and you just like you would get joy from watching them just kind of like flop around um they were really like goofy um and some of the songs like obviously all the songs are written by people who are like professional pop mercenaries Mm -hmm. like you know like golden hooks and um I think it was just like kind of right place, right time type of thing. Like I yeah. went, I took my little sisters to see the One Direction documentary and I was just like, I freaking hate my life at college. Like this is freaking fun. Like these boys are um, like cute and funny and like the songs are not challenging and it's like something to talk about. It's just something yeah. to think about. I think that's kind of the deal with a lot of pop music is like, there just has to be like one thing that kind of hits you where it hurts, you know, and then you're mm-hmm. kind of you're just like hooked forever. And it's not really like, it's not like you genuinely, I don't like genuinely think that One Direction is like an amazing band. It's like, yeah, I was just, I was walking by at the right moment. Now, I, I can definitely see the like appeal of the image. And I mean, the music too, like I was just dragged to a One Direction night at Scarlet, a queer bar here in Chicago. Like, last month and Mm -hmm. I don't I know a lot of One Direction songs but they're all like the big hits and they played every album front to back (laughs) in order and I would think we only stayed through like the half of the third one Mm -hmm. but like I guess in my head I always thought that the music was a lot more like Maroon 5-y than it actually is but those first two albums have like like truly incredible pop songs on them Yes, I would say that like the like the third album and the fourth album are the ones that are kind of regarded now by like respectable music mm-hmm. as like pretty stone cold like classics in the weird pop rock cover like seventies cover band variety of mm-hmm. pop music, which was like I mean, I guess like if you want to make the really like optimist argument for One Direction, you could say that like there really wasn't anything on the radio at the time that was like like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly like very hit or miss. And after Zayn left, you yeah felt that you felt that on on the tracks. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's kind of a dark cloud these days, but like you kind of forget how he was almost more of the heartthrob than Harry was. Totally, totally. Yeah. It's just with I the- think those were like the two strong camps, mm-hmm. and also when you know towards the end of One Direction's run, I feel like a lot of people thought like, oh, Zayn got out first, which means he's going to be the star. Yeah. But it's it doesn't really work like that for most people. Like, I mean, even if you go back to the Spice Girls, like Ginger leaving the band first, everyone thought she was going to be the massive solo star. None of them really were great solo artists, but like Victoria is definitely the most famous one these days. Like yeah. 
Be- I mean, Beyonce is kind of the exception, not the the rule. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Who left Fifth Harmony first? Was it? Oh, Camila. Okay. Yeah. And she, I mean, she did well, but I feel like she burned a lot of goodwill with her racist Tumblr. Yes. And then everyone, <laughs> loved, everyone loved the Normani single, but I feel like I don't know what she's been doing since then. That video is amazing, though. That I'm video like, is so good. I, you know, labeled mismanagement is a hard thing to overcome. And like, mm-hmm. Normani's definitely the most talented person out of that crew, but yeah, I don't, you can't like make it happen for some people. Like, I, I don't know. It just, I'm not, I'm not trying to like cape for the music industry here, but like, it's a complicated, complicated scenarios. Sure, it's alchemy. It is alchemy. Um, and then speaking of alchemy, last scenario here. Drake shades Taylor Swift after anti-hero blocks his new singles from number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Swifties call him out for not staying out of women's business. Wait, what did, how did he shade her? I don't know this. Okay, so he posted the like pop crave graphic of the Billboard Hot 100. Yeah. with anti-hero at number one covered by like the like massaging head and like sweating emoji do you know what I'm t- I didn't know this was an emoji I don't think I have this one on my keyboard but like it's is like that or is him just being like stressed because he's losing I think it's he's like we pretend we do not see it kind of vibes wow. and this is the second time in two weeks like because he got in trouble with like all the Megan the Stallion fans too for like Yes, yes, Calling, yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say call the governor on this one because um, something I've always wondered is like before, you know, Taylor Swift's all like Easter egg vibes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, every single thing I put on my body is a clue. So before Lover came out, she did a photo shoot where she was wearing a jean jacket that had all these pins on it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the pins um, like had clues about things that were going to be on the album and I can't remember what the pin was but like one of the pins was Drake really oh maybe it have been like his owl logo or something mm-hmm. I could be making that up completely but one of the yeah. pins was clearly like a reference to Drake um so everyone thought they were going to be recording a song together and then that was right when he got like really roasted for like bringing that like 15 year old girl up on stage and kissing her Mm -hmm. and so my suspicion has always been that like they did record a song for lover and then that happened and she like buried it because she was like this is not the vibe I am a feminist now and like you are a little bit radioactive so I I just suspected that that might have happened um and I know that she does reference him on the album with the like in my feelings more than drake but like i just this is still my suspicion and i wonder if he could be holding a grudge and so the governor should um you know employ the resources of the state to investigate yes i cross the border into canada and see what's going on up there because it's uh yeah i i remember that whole drama too like and I mean, that was the same time that Drake was befriending Billy Bobby Brown, which yes, <laughs> a yes, yes, yes. Okay. wild decision well, in hindsight. I gotta say, worried about her. When she was talking this week about wanting to play Britney Spears movie, I was like, be quiet. I'm worried yeah. about her. I, 
you know, I have very complicated feelings about her because I'm not a big Stranger Things fan. I'm not necessarily like, I don't know. I, I feel a little bad for her from like whatever happened a few years ago on Twitter where everyone was making those memes that painted her out to be homophobic. That was a bad time for her. Not good. Um, I think she's very funny these days, though. Like the Britney Spears thing, she's definitely like out punning her coverage a little bit. But I was really tickled by that lie detector test that she did for Vanity Fair this week. Did you see that? Oh, I did not see. That I mean, those things are always just kind of like gimmicky viral moment generators. But like, it was very funny to see her like shade stranger things like i don't know i just think she's very like actually funny and charismatic and i wish she would kind of lean into like i i think she would be someone who has a really good reality show in her okay okay i should be more generous i feel like i sometimes have a problem with the younger girlies like you know not showing their respect like they think they are by saying I want to play you in a movie or like by Maya Hawk and Olivia Rodrigo being like I'm so inspired by Taylor Swift I want to write songs like hers like Mm -hmm. that's actually rude that's like if I when I was first starting in journalism was like yeah I'm really inspired by Joan Didion that's the kind of writing I want to do it's like shut up you're a child like why don't you try to do something first and then talk about you know yeah and like also no offense to anyone but like everyone's trying to write like taylor swift and joan didion like these are generational talents like it's not it's not necessarily like you yeah Yeah, like (laughs) i mean i don't know i mean i have a lot of issues with the the olivia rodrigo industrial complex especially like i do think a lot of the like covers she does at her shows like the no doubt stuff like hmm. um even like bring Paramore out on stage I'm like this is not the kind of music you want to be doing clearly like you really want to be Taylor Swift 2.0 like right. I don't know how she, I mean there are like only three songs on that album that are full-on rock songs everything else is like yeah like a little bit like ballads yeah 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 it's it's very obviously a costume and I'm going to be interested to see what the next round of music from her actually looks like because it just doesn't seem I don't know I I think she's going to lean into the ballads in a way that people are not going to like that much I actually kind of like Maya Hawke's music though I will give her that I haven't listened I did just watch um Do Revenge and I was like I love this movie and she's cool and I'm sorry um but I you know I don't know I don't listen to new music anymore anyway but (laughs) she is like far and away the best part of that movie like I really really like her in stuff and like yeah you know the Nepo baby thing is its own conversation but like if a Nepo baby is good I'm not complaining like you're talking to a a huge Dakota Johnson fan here like oh my god yeah. yeah I love Dakota Johnson and I think it helps that like both her and Maya Hawk, from what I've seen seem to have personality like that's not as easy to come by these days in an age where everyone is so like safe about branding and imaging like we don't have a lot of people who are like really 
willing or feel as as if they're able to like stand in their own quirks in a way that people used to be yeah I think also with acting it maybe doesn't offend me as much because I'm like well yeah like beautiful people who are good at acting had a baby and it became a beautiful person who was good at acting like yeah yeah like if you acknowledge that like that is the case then that's half the battle right there like no one's uh, the only time people are going to get mad at you for nepotism is if you fight back against it like we're recording this on the day that lily depp said in an interview that like she gets really mad about being called a nepo baby and equated it to being like oh, if a doctor's kid becomes a doctor, no one's going to get mad at him for being a Nepo baby. And that is just unfortunately not the same thing. (laughs) No, not at all the same thing. I mean, there are actually very few jobs that like the level that she's talking about that require specialized training. And people will call you a Nepo baby if you get any of the other ones. Like if my dad was a journalist, people would call me a Nepo baby, even if he didn't have a job. It's like, it's fine for people to suspect that. Just be like, yeah weird my dad's famous like no and like even these fields a lot of these fields require credentials too like lily rose depp didn't even go to gallatin like she's not like she she's not certified to act she's not certified to do anything she does she's just johnny depp's daughter yeah i can't that that being said i am i will be watching the idol the minute it comes out like (laughs) i know it's gonna be a car crash but it is my most anticipated show of 2023 wow um okay caitlin i think we have to move on to this episode's cultural emergency okay great i've been thinking about it all day so what are you rushing to the er today okay um today i am rushing to the er (laughs) although um oh maybe poor choice (laughs) (laughs) i didn't consider i didn't consider it may be a poor taste but we will have no choice but to rush to the er the joan didion estate sale which was conducted at an auction house in hudson new york today starting at starting at 11 a.m and finishing mere minutes before we started recording this podcast at um 7 30 p.m eastern so by the end of it the auctioneers were absolutely going crazy um it actually was way more exciting to watch than I thought it would be and I was checking in all day I was like eating my lunch actually it was really exciting because you know when you're working and you get to like the middle of a sentence you don't want to have to finish so Mm -hmm. you click to twitter or whatever Today, instead of automatically clicking to Twitter, I was like, well, let me see what the latest Joan Didion auction item went for. So I was just popping in and out of the auction live stream all day. And it was thrilling, but also revolting. (laughs) Well, the estate sale in general is kind of a revolting practice. Well, it's very, at the very least, it's very like morbid to. Yeah parse through a dead woman's belongings and being like "Ooh, I like that like it is there's like I get that it is a part of society and I'm a veteran of many in a state sale like when I would um when I lived in LA we would go on Sundays to estate sales and like these old houses in the hills and just parse through things like it wasn't like an auction like this one was like most of them were just like essentially glorified yard sales right but they they were thrilling nonetheless because like 
you kind of forget that a old people have a lot of stuff and b that stuff is often very interesting and like historical yeah but i have never seen an estate sale with as chic an array of goods for auction as the Joan Didion estate sale. Yes. So I think I also kind of got my hopes up about the Joan Didion estate sale because a few weeks ago they did the Elizabeth Wurzel estate sale. Um, oh. Author of, of Prozac Nation. Mm-hmm. For those who don't uh, follow the depressed downtown girlies um they did her estate sale and there were many affordable items and I did feel a little bit too more she had like a um she had like a print that was like a a photo of New York City that had the twin towers in it and it had a cool frame and I was like oh I kind of want that but I started to make an account to bid on it and I was like this is too dark I don't want to bid on this I don't like Mm -hmm. I don't want to be like picking through someone's remaining objects yeah. Um, but then for my birthday, I guess one of my friends um went you could order you could bid on stuff online and then you could also physically go to the um warehouse they had everything in, which yeah. was in and just kind of like pick through the stuff that wasn't important enough to list online. And she went and she bought me <laughs> Elizabeth Wurzel's copy of The Perfect Storm, mm-hmm. um, which is the book uh famous book about a sword fishing expedition <laughs> and <laughs> is that (laughs) the the one they made into the movie yes with george yeah i know i know i have seen the movie i did not (laughs) actually know it was a book so yeah no it's a famous book and actually i read it earlier this year because um i'm working on a book proposal that requires a lot of historical research about people who were not famous and are now dead um which makes it difficult obviously and my Mm -hmm. agent like oh you should read the perfect storm because um about all these people who drowned at sea but obviously they don't have any information about like the last hours of their lives because they died Mm -hmm. um so there's this like really really long like visceral graphic description of how it feels to drown um in the middle of the book which it's like very that scene is like super famous it's just like a it's just like a haunting piece of Mm -hmm. writing but anyway i really got the perfect storm pilled for like several months and it was (laughs) about <laughs> so now I have Elizabeth Wurzel's copy of the perfect storm which has like a random list of women in the back she just like wrote down a list of like Sylvia Plath um Delilah like the biblical character yeah I, I thought after that experience I was like oh well you know Elizabeth Wurzel was pretty famous I know that Joan Didion is more famous mm-hmm. but maybe I could get like you know like one of her more random collections of books like her her books about Lyndon B. Johnson or something Mm -hmm. for like a hundred dollars and that wouldn't be like an insane thing to do so I was there were a lot of her own books written by her in her personal collection for sale today you saw some of the prices on these because you made an account I did not do that how much do Joan Didion's personal copies of her own works actually go for in the estate sale okay they sold like several random groupings of her mm-hmm. own but one one of the ones that i was following sold for fifteen thousand dollars mind you wow. these are copies of her own books like it doesn't have janelia they like gave everyone book plates to put in that say like from the library of joan didion mm-hmm. but really just like spare copies of her own books yeah dang it was it was crazy to watch. She, they also had a collection of her um, 
like she had at some point written a list out of her 19 favorite books. So they like found those in her library and put them together. Um, and that sold for $26,000. That, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, you kind of knew everything was going to be really expensive just because her impact is so foundational to like, everyone in our generation who is a writer or I mean honestly just any sort of like cultural critic like she is in a lot of ways the one mm-hmm. but like $26,000 for letters like that is and I mean not even letters like just lists like that's yeah that's- no and they they sold um I feel like the most shocking one to me was they had like a little pile of um, like seashells and pebbles that she had picked Mm -hmm. up somewhere and that sold for $7,000. For Didion pebbles? I would, that seems reasonable. I would, maybe not (laughs) $7,000, but like, I mean, I would, if I could own a single pebble from Joan Didion's pebbles, I would probably pay $200 at least for a single pebble I would pay $200 for a pebble because then you can say you see that pebble right there that was Joan Didion's pebble I get you were crazy (laughs) right well eccentric that's the word (laughs) see like if I just had a if I paid $200 for a regular pebble that would make me crazy but Joan Didion's pebble eccentric that's true. My editor was telling me that he, his young daughter is named Joan. And so mm-hmm. he, his wife had thought about bidding on like a, cl- a cluster of her desk ephemera that had like a big paperweight in the shape of a letter J because originally like the estimate on the website was like, this will go for $200. So they were like, oh, that would be so cool to give her when she's an adult. Maybe she would like to have this paperweight, but that ended up selling for $8,000. I believe like, it. The Wait. the items that really drew my eye were her writing desks. Um, mm-hmm. or I mean, she had a variety of writing tables, which like yeah. I mean, you know, you would have hoped she would have had, but like they were just so gorgeous in this in the way that like a lot of furniture from like the late sixties, early seventies is, and like that to yeah. me, like there's something very mythical about a writing desk that was like you know used to make great works like and that it looks nice too I mean that's kind of the the double whammy (laughs) like you're yeah yeah Yeah. you love it like I love a like a heavy piece of wood furniture Mm -hmm. because like nowadays like what are the offerings for us when we're like furnishing our apartments it's like stuff made out of out of like plywood with like a fake laminate coating over it so you see a really heavy I was watching the auctioneer when he was talking about she had this like really really big heavy um maple desk that was made in Sacramento by the Mm -hmm. same made the furniture for the governor's mansion um in Sacramento and it was like huge and he was like (laughs) he was pretty nervous he was like oh do you want this clunker for and then he obviously like goes on to correct himself and be like beautiful piece of furniture blah 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 but I was like I would love that my little dream is to have enough space to have like a truly gigantic desk that feels like like you could drop it out the window of a third story of a building and it would nothing would happen to it it would just like land upright on the ground like a cat yeah. it's just huge like I mean there's a reason that these pieces of furniture have lasted for so long like the craft yeah. is good like 
but also they just have so much character and like i don't know every single item in this estate sale in general looked very lived in like mm-hmm. like there's a story behind everything i was really tickled by them selling her dutch ovens um that were <laughs> like she had a, a lot of dutch ovens but yeah they're, they're just like completely crusted over and i'm like oh yeah you've had these for decades now and yeah. like you're actively cooking with them constantly like that like they just evoke such an interesting image of her like you know cooking away or like who I mean I don't know if she had chefs but like whoever like it just to get a glimpse of the woman behind the writing even with someone who is so famous for like extremely confessional writing like it just you feel very close to that to her I don't know yeah I mean I think if anybody's career is made out of like um observing the and sort of extracting the details about other people that they don't expect to have noticed like then you have to think when they're picking stuff out to have in their home they have to be like hyper aware um of like what owning that thing expresses about that um if you're so careful when you document other people you can't really be careless and how you live your own life I right think. yeah but she also like had the means to to like really collect all these like beautiful pieces and like I mean the the number of books that are up for sale here are like I mean staggering like I cannot imagine like what that fully composed library must have looked like like on shelves and stuff yeah totally I mean and also it's obviously like this is the like good stuff like she probably mm-hmm. have like hundreds of books that aren't yeah like, I mean I'm sure she had like a bunch of old like Bon Appetit magazines with like half the yeah, cover yeah, yeah. torn off lying around like the rest <laughs> of us do but like that's I mean I'd pay if I'd pay money for that if they gave me a nice book jacket for it yeah I totally I mean I would have loved to just like stroll past the dumpster when they were cleaning the place out yeah <laughs> and like uh, Hudson holds such a mystic appeal to me too I so I've never been to Hudson so like but everyone talks about it with such like hushed reverential tones it seems like these days like it's this like uh, great oasis that everyone's trying right. to get to like I and she's just been there like she's like the figure in the woods like calling for you to come come to Hudson like it's fun up here but yeah she also um I don't even know if I should be saying this but whatever um my boyfriend's friend my boyfriend has a friend who's like grew up in New York and her parents Mm -hmm. are very wealthy and last summer we went to their lake house which is like a disastrous experience on many levels um (laughs) But they were just like, I. they were just like, they had Joan Didion books all over their house. Mm-hmm. And then we sat down at dinner and they were like, yeah, so you know, like Joan lives in our building. Like she, um, <laughs> like on the, on the Upper East Side or whatever. And they like, we see her, um, we've seen her at dinner in years past. They had seen her at dinner at Elio's, which is like famous. Yeah expensive Italian restaurant on the breeze side and then um she would like sometimes come to board meetings but they were just like oh yes like like Joan is Joan is she's still there she's she's in the building but 
oh, she's not well. And I was like, okay, Jesus, <laughs> Jonah's not telling everyone this. Yeah, <laughs> like, don't blow her spot like that, please. Um, God, I mean, like, I'm just, I'm scrolling through all of these again. Like, the, a lot of, like, the emphasis on collecting, like, silver in china yeah. too it is very yeah. like people of that era were so obsessed with collecting silverware yeah and like fine china like that like i think about my grandparents and how much like i'm sure they have stacks of different sets just like somewhere in their house like accumulate over the years that just that like sense of decorum really has not trickled down to, <laughs> to us I feel like I would love like a set of dishes that's like for hosting oh same a holiday meal or something like an occasion yeah but- I definitely don't want to pass down to my grandkids like I don't know all the like random branded swell bottles I've accumulated over the years. <laughs> that's like our equivalent to like fine china now. I mean, it's it's. I know. I want to be like mugs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, my... oh, I just thought it was funny if the only glasses I had were like near cups from Sydney Field, <laughs> different. Yeah. <laughs> My, um my married to the mob mug that has a chip in it and arrived damage and it will be it will still be here in 70 years like I don't want to be like one of those people who's mourning what was lost or whatever but like you just look back at a lot of this stuff and it's like not a, like a great woman owned all these things and had impeccable taste too yeah Totally. She had like the other thing I really coveted, which I would never have been able to purchase in a million billion years. But she had this like um Cartier like brass desk clock. Yes, gorgeous. But it was so good, and I was like, wow, my life would be amazing if I had a chic little desk clock like that. A Cartier desk clock like that is just so glamorous. You sent me these um celine faux tortoiseshell sunglasses as well oh, that yeah. i'm now seeing the estimate for was 400 to 800 dollars but like yeah. didn't the, they ended up going for what like 2500 or something dollars. oh whoop, missing a zero <laughs> okay so i <laughs> i mean i wonder wildly off i was kind of like what it, also one of my coworkers was like oh my friend's family owns the auction house i have no idea how they got this auction because it's kind of like a small place that just like sells antique furniture. And now that I'm looking at how off the estimates were, I was like, agree. How did maybe they, they just <laughs> didn't know it was Joan Didion's stuff? I mean, I don't, I'm just now seeing that the main, the auction, and I'm not putting anyone on blast here, bidsquare.com. I thought this was like a Sotheby's or a Christie's kind of vibe we were dealing with. <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean it, it, no it's i i think it's it's it, like they are making a killing off of all oh god i need to like not use that phrasing um but they're they've made a windfall off of all this for sure um probably all of the profit i don't know like maybe the reason that it didn't go through a main auction house is like all of the money was supposedly going to half of it was going to like a hospital which i oh, yeah knew. And the other half was going to like Sacramento State University for like okay. 
scholarships for women to study the literature. That's so nice. It's possible that like it was a random auction house because Sotheby's was like, uh, whatever, this isn't a charity operation. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe um, so. I mean, I uh, God, they're gonna make a lot of scholarships out of this. Like, oh yeah, it's. I'm not. I didn't even see these estimate tabs earlier when I was looking. I mean, yeah, this, these are wildly undervalued. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Originally, you think these books are going for a hundred dollars? I um I don't know if you tuned into any of the auction itself, but I was deeply obsessed with the auctioneer. There was two actually. They like took turns, but one of them was like an older man who like kept getting nervous and like negging the auction items mm-hmm. <laughs> like like the picture of Joan Didion the like famous photograph of Joan Didion with the stingray corvette he was yeah. like oh this is a picture this is a picture of Joan with her stingray corvette one of the worst cars ever made it would just be <laughs> rattling side to side he'd just like <laughs> go off on these tangents like kind of completely forgetting like why anybody was interested in the item which was because it's Joan Didion yeah. and she, chic as fuck standing in the convertible <laughs> I loved him I loved him I love that is a fun job I feel like you get to see a lot of history through that job and you get to be like an outsized personality yeah you need totally. to have like a strong perspective to be like an auction an auctioneer yeah. yeah he also was like um I don't know if you noticed like the pink the pink glass dessert serving set um which Mm -hmm. was yes those were gorgeous I that was the one I saw the most on Twitter where like women in the milieu of like wanting to write like Joan Didion were like if only I could have these pink glass dessert sets but the auction was like oh this is one of my favorite pieces imagine eating a brownie sundae out of these (laughs) (laughs) yeah imagine I mean like that I'm truly like the height of decadence like I the my favorite item out of all of them were these I can't tell if it's a design or they're actually slightly stained but they're a pair of leather waste paper baskets um it's weird to be like I love the trash cans but like the (laughs) they are so gorgeous my grandparents have a set of these in their house too and like I have I like since I was a child I was like why did these need to be leather like this is so like weirdly fancy for like no reason but I now I mean I have tried and failed in my adult life to like get my hands on the set for like my place to just to like have around and they don't I mean it's not the kind of thing you make anymore (laughs) because it's like who's buying this but like I was I just had such I don't know I I just had such like a nostalgic like oh like she had like people really had like very similar tastes back then I guess like just yeah yeah totally I think my favorite was the um the set of serving dishes that had like um fish on them like yeah the brown bass in the middle of every serving dish yeah Limoges porcelain (laughs) all of these are like all of her dishes were so pretty too I really like the seafoam green ones too like Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah I'm going back to the dessert set now too just yeah like, so pretty and like don't let Etsy see any of this because like we're gonna get some 
some dupes uh pretty quickly I feel like I think um, the slipcover sofa could come back like purely purely of the influence from this estate sale I'm yeah. already I feel like I already know people who are white slipcover sofa curious I it's it's also just like it adds a little character to basic pieces too because like you can have any kind of sofa almost and like make it into a white slip one I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I see all this maximalist decor all over, like, Instagram and TikTok right now. Like, that's the kind of, like, I get a lot of, like, home renovation, home decor stuff. And mm-hmm. I feel like the white slip couch, and honestly, like, a lot of this kind of 60s, 70s, like, chinoiserie, like, really, like, ornate, gilded, like, gold or like gil- like metallic like the cartier watch is like a good ex- or a cartier clock is a really good example of this like that kind of like mod old school touch with like kind of flashy elements i think is like a good like balancing and all of this stuff looks very like rich woman too yeah it's also like i think a real like the reason like the slipcover sofa i feel like people are drawn to that now is like everyone is so tired of these awful couches with the spindly little mid-century mod legs like mm-hmm. nobody wants to be living a mid-century mod lifestyle anymore you need to be able to like rest your little head on, on the arm of a sofa like why do we even have one yeah um like part of what's so appealing about this collection of of items is that you can imagine like living in this home and genuinely being very comfortable very like, comfortable the things are beautiful but they're also like functional and like I don't know kind of like aspirational but also accessible in a way I'm like well I could have like a needlepoint pillow on my couch like I just it didn't occur to me um because I don't have this level of taste yeah (laughs) and like every chair has a cushion Mm -hmm. every like there's a lot of like blankets and like just random knitwear in here too like I mean like she lived a very cozy lifestyle, clearly, but like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I definitely, I have a little too much like mid-century modern stuff in my place, and like, I, I've been constantly searching for ways to make things feel more lived in. But I think the only way to make a place feel really lived in is like actually living in it and accumulating mm. stuff over time. I know it's so weird though to think about where like like when you know everybody has the experience of someone like cleaning out their grandmother's house so that they mm-hmm. can like move into some kind of assisted living thing and like my grandma when she moved out like she didn't have a ton of furniture but everything that she had I was like wow this is like a nicely made piece of furniture this is like wood this has been here for like 40 years yeah and like how like people of previous generations were just like able to purchase like really good furniture like I could buy something like that now but if I wanted to buy like a writing desk that's like really well made out of wood it would be five thousand dollars like yeah you know like like I mean they you know the phrase investment piece gets thrown around so much but like Mm -hmm. they really there wasn't an option to go to Wayfair or Ikea when like Joan Didion was decorating her place like all this furniture had to be like sturdy aesthetically pleasing because you're kind of like stuck with it for a while like yeah 
and uh, placing more value on these items like i i don't know just really it's weird to say this about like a quote group of seven pillows but like they feel important (laughs) not just because joan didion owned them which i that's definitely part of it but like like if you've had the same pillow since like 1973 like that's really cool i don't know yeah yeah it also to like living carefully and like taking care of your things and like respecting things for like being functional and being investments whereas like I have a pillow on my couch right now that I got from Urban Outfitters it has all over it yeah cares now I like my target throw pillows that I have on my armchair right now have picked up like lint that I scientifically chemically cannot remove like I've tried (laughs) and tried so like I don't know something has been lost and that's very sad but Uh, okay I I do think we have to move (laughs) on to our final segment unfortunately okay okay wait let me just um I wrote down what the auctioneer said during the last lot oh yes please a little bit punch drunk and he was (laughs) getting really tired he was like um he was like let's dance $8,000 for these fabulous little gems, referring to three candlesticks. (laughs) Imagine the conversations these illuminated. And then when the sale was only finally over, he was like, that concludes our little sale. I'd do it all over again if I could. (laughs) Oh my God. Craziest voice. I love that. How old was this guy? I He had been in his 60s. Yeah. Yeah. He was fully great. You You have to be like a seasoned professional. Like, yeah, they're not they're not giving the Joe and Diddy in a state sale to like I don't know how you get to become an auctioneer but like they're not giving that to some like neophyte like we need true. the big guns in for it's that. true well, they did make a number of mistakes throughout the day but I'm not ragging on them they did a great job professionals she had a lot of stuff and I'm sure when people are overbidding like well above the evaluation not necessarily overbidding but like going way over all that like it is disorienting (laughs) like yeah and at some point you're like okay stop bidding like chill let's move on yeah (laughs) like we got a lot of things to get through today (laughs) so caitlin we're gonna play tear the community apart okay the rules are very simple i have picked two songs and you're gonna tell me which one is better oh i've heard them (laughs) i think so i think so so uh, this was kind of a shot in the dark but the two songs I have picked are pop country crossover hits. Ooh, okay. From 2018. Okay, perfect. These two artists are like very well known yeah. as two of the foremost women of country. Okay. And in 2018, they each made very different but very interesting crossover appeals. Okay. Which Ooh, song is let me think of one who did that i'm ready though i'm ready a little tenuous but which song is better the middle by Marin morris gray and zed mm-hmm. or high horse by casey musgraves okay this is so tough and i did see casey musgraves at the Apollo Theater in Harlem, which is a very weird venue. That's for a me. very weird venue for Casey, <laughs> yeah. I have not seen Marin Morris live. 
Um, however, her first album was very important to me. Also, she has that duet with Niall Horan, and you know he's my boy. Yeah, Seeing Blind, it's so good. So, 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 so good. good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, High Horse wasn't one of my favorites of the Casey album. I gotta say, I'm giving it to Marin Morris because the middle, I was kind of like, you know, I don't really care about this song, but every time I hear it in a Target, I'm happy to be hearing it, and I'm having a good time. So, I'm gonna give it to her. It is a classic target song yeah like like definitely i think one of the two best examples of that whole genre like the other one that's really coming to mind is need you now by lady a is that what we've settled on what we're calling them um lady uh, a yeah the the two the two like the mount rushmore of target songs right there um that reminds me today, I somehow accidentally ended up listening to a song that was extremely popular on the radio when I worked at the mall mm-hmm. um, in high school. And I was like, at the time, I remember like kind of enjoying it when it would come on the radio at the mall. And I was listening to it today and I was like, this is absolutely the most disgusting, morbid song of all time. Um, if I Die Young. I <laughs> knew you were about to say that. I knew you were about to say that. I cannot tell <laughs> you how obsessed I was with that song. And like, 2010 whenever it came out yeah I loved it and now I'm like this is so weird what use is it to imagine a teenager dying for like aesthetic reasons well in that way it is very Tumblr era (laughs) it it is like um what was it to write love on her arms I really should not be holding my arms up like this do you remember that whole thing I can't believe you just I know. I I like. I've. It's like the Bloody yes, Mary. I. Yeah. Oh my God, that song is so good, though. That like, I mean, Taylor was kind of like jacking that sound a little bit in that era. Like, that's kind of just what like, con- the women of country sounded like that, except Carrie. Yeah, I mean, I have endless country music. Mm-hmm. I, I'll say like. Miranda Lambert um, is my, like, anytime I'm, like, put into a room of where, uh, anytime I'm put into a place of having to perform karaoke, um, it's Miranda Lambert or the chicks. Yes. Um, Love those ladies. You are actually also talking to a ginormous Miranda Lambert karaoke performer. (laughs) Like, it is a a, a, a go-to. Vice is my go-to of choice. Okay. I love um, Mama's Broken Heart, written by Casey Musgrave. Perfect. Perfect song. Perfect karaoke <laughs> song, too. You really can't go wrong with a lot of Miranda, though. Like, someone did blue... We do karaoke in my grad program almost every week, which is, like, a weird ritual. But, like, someone very recently did Bluebird, um uh-huh. and it was great great karaoke song I just yeah did, did you listen to her new well I'm assuming you did the new album from this year wait is that that's not wild card she has no I actually don't know I think it's called Palomino okay I don't it, is, I it is called Palomino very good okay I need to I need to cue it up I love her the new the new Miranda album and the new Marin Morris album, both like really excellent. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Okay, good. I need to get back into listening to new music. I feel like just because of COVID when I wasn't commuting, I just totally, it was just like totally removed from my routine. 
yeah i it is really interesting how like not to talk about covid but like the pandemic really fucked with people's (laughs) music listening habits like i think if i were not working in music business at the time i would not have kept up with it much either like yeah because you just wanted to to listen to things that were familiar i'm like i'm alone in my apartment like I want to listen to whatever Paul Simon record my aunt used to play at Thanksgiving or oh, whatever. Same. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if if I didn't literally have to listen to new music all day, like I think I would have just put on old Lana albums probably every day. Like I, st- I mean, I still do that anyway. I make time to be be a waif in my day to day life. Yeah. But you kind of have to. But... <laughs> Um, True. Anytime decis- I'm feel of a cause, we're doing all Lana. We're doing the full Lana discography. Perfect driving music. Um, also, I'm surprised that this. Well, I like the middle a lot, and I like High Horse a lot. I am surprised that this was such a decisive victory, though, because I, on the whole, am definitely more of a Casey fan than a Marin fan. Though I, yeah, did- I think maybe like. Casey's divorce album I thought was awful and I think it like kind of soured me a little bit like retrospectively on some of her work which I feel bad about I'm gonna need to process that it it's tough to follow up one of the great albums of the decade about falling in love with a divorce album just conceptually that's hard yeah Um, that's true it, yeah I just thought the songwriting was a little weaker on the divorce album too like mm-hmm. I don't I definitely revisit golden hour a lot more than starcrossed yeah but I'm also I mean I I don't know it's not it's not a great album but I'm too biased I saw her three times in two months when wow. in like 2019 I guess like um I just love her I don't know she's I mean her voice amazing amazing yeah and she's such a good songwriter too like i i mean in the same way that i think like taylor is such a good songwriter like we really do not have a lot of story tellers in music right now like yeah it's not that like you need to do that to be a good lyricist but it is a really refreshing perspective to like hear people who can hop outside their own perspective for even just like verses at a time like that's it requires a lot of craft to do that totally and we respect craft here at crisis wing so (laughs) um caitlin thank you so so much for being here this was an absolute blast um where can people find you on social media oh my goodness well as long as twitter exists Mm -hmm. i'm k-a-i-t underscore tiffany on twitter Awesome. Um, you can find me at FK Pigs with a Z on Twitter, at Drew Haskins with a Z on Instagram, um, at FK Pigs <laughs> <that got laughs> social or whatever on Mastodon. Um, Ooh. that I I have to delete it though. It's like a truly inscrutable app. Um, yes. And follow like at Crisis Twink Pod on Twitter and Instagram for direct updates and Girls Room Season Two. We'll be back on 
not when you're the week after you are listening to this now on November 23rd um, with some extra special guests. Julia and I have been planning some very fun surprises for the last two episodes. So uh, stick around for that. Um, Are we yeah, And go back and listen to our episode with Caitlin that we just released, I think, two weeks ago. It is very funny, very fabulous. And you can catch that on the Crisis Twink Pod feed. So all right. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much. This was such a delight. We have to talk about like a hundred of my interests. Yes. (laughs) A true odyssey. Like what you just heard? Go to the show notes and whatever podcast app you're listening to this on and click the donation link.